0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: I think it's just been in the last probably five to seven years. You know, I think professionally it happens sooner um because in that environment things are a little bit easier it's easier to define success versus failure in a professional world right without any sort of other validation you can kind of get results and see if you're getting results
2: how you did how you did that was the voice of Amy Perkins Amy is a phenomenal woman a woman who's gone through so much a woman who has remained optimistic despite going through so much and has turned a lot of her life experiences into beautiful lessons we dissect her story, we dive into what has become a passion for her as she strives to create platforms and opportunities for other women to see themselves and to fully express themselves in a world that sometimes creates limited options, and we dive into our ideas of what it takes to be successful in today's world. Today's world that is constantly trying to tell you not to be yourself. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope you sign up for her conference, which is going to be in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is Amy Perkins. Now, Amy is a chief strategy officer in the financial services industry and has spent 25 years discovering and aligning herself with her purpose. Amy's advocacy for women, both personally and professionally, led her to spearhead the annual Women in Consumer and Finance Conference, the group focuses largely on women sharing the story behind the successes with the hope of creating an environment where women can see themselves in others. This can be validating and empowering for women who may internalize where they come from, their past decisions, education, tragedy, and allow that to affect their perception of their worthiness and future career potential. Having grown up in rural America and experiencing her own set of tragedy, Amy has been on the quest to understand her own mean of self-love, worthiness. Through her story and the facilitation of other people, Amy hopes to encourage people to live wide open with (laughs) With authenticity, bravery, and unapologetically on their own terms. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation today.
2: Me too. I mean, I I, I want to start off right there with those uh, last three words, the authenticity, bravery, and unapologetically. So I'll, I'll phrase the question this way. Why do you feel like women haven't been able to you know find environments where they can do it so where they can live wide open with authenticity bravery and unapologetically on their own terms.
1: Yeah, I think it's such a good question. I've spent a lot of time reflecting on that and there's probably 10 different answers I could give you on 10 different days, but you know, I think the main thing for me so if I take it on the professional side first you know, I just found that when I first came out, I was sort of naively confident, if that makes sense. You know, I came out and I was just like, oh, I didn't ever think about the fact that I was a woman and someone else was a man. I just started my career and I was very assertive and had lots of opinions and wanted my voice to be heard. And I wanted to make sure that my voice was heard and I got a lot of mixed feedback early in my career, you know, And at one point I had an executive and he said, you know, I just think you're just maybe a little too aggressive. And my personality isn't aggressive. I can tell you that I am very assertive, but aggressive isn't something I identify with. But I, the way he interpreted me, I think was very much um, also influenced by, you know, I don't think many men get that sort of feedback, you know, that says, Hey, I think you're too aggressive, you know, oftentimes that's viewed as, "Oh, you're a strong leader, you stand up for what you want. So I think there's some unconscious bias that we all have. We know this, right? And I do think in my particular line of work, being in consumer finance and banking, uh, you know, I think women, at least in my experience, the more direct and assertive I became, uh, the more pushback I seemed to get as I was moving, you know, through my career because of that, I swung the pendulum, you know, the other direction. And it took me a few years professionally to recover from that, because actually those things that he sort of coached out of me were the things that differentiated me um, and got me to that point. So, you know, I think there's that's one example. But I think things like that happen that then cause us to mask maybe our real personality or the real way we would address something to sort of fit the mold of what um, whatever particular version of corporate America or other um, lines of work, you know, require for you to be successful.
2: That's so fascinating to me because you are right. And and then, you know, when you think about conditioning and programming, a lot of times when we grew up, I grew up in a household of all, all boys, all men. I think, you know, my middle brother uh, <laughs> from TikTok. And so, yeah. Um, and I, I was the oldest, but, but, you know, the way we were conditioned is, you know, men are this way, women are this way. Uh, if this is the masculine version, this is the feminine version. And ironically, as I got into my field of work, which is focused on equity, you start to figure out what you need to unlearn. And a lot of those things, uh, that I, I worked on unlearning learning were the programming and were how we make space for people to be their full selves. But with you particularly, you had... You've had a personal journey yourself where you're constantly discovering yourself and rediscovering yourself and and finding out elements of yourself that you might have suppressed as 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 you get older. So I'm curious if you could let us into your world and the turning points in your life where you decided to go against conventional society and be the full woman that you always knew you could be.
1: Yeah. Uh you know, I think it's just been in the last probably five to seven years, you know, I think professionally it happens sooner um, because in that environment, things are a little bit easier. It's easier to define success versus failure in a professional world, right? Without any sort of other validation, you can kind of get results and see if you're getting results. Interesting enough on the personal side and the way it sort of informed my career, as well as the way it's informed my personal growth to get me to this point of like you said, unlearning and, and starting to recognize who I really am at my core and bringing that forward is because I didn't come from a wealthy family. Um, live, you mentioned it in my bio, I came from a very rural background. Um, I think there was this underlying unworthiness that I sort of internalized that said, you know, I would find myself out having fancy dinners and drinking wine. And I didn't grow up in a family where that was a normal thing. I didn't know much about those sorts of things. And so I think that in some ways that has carried over and carried over. And once I, you know, got later into my years, I'd say that, you know, the loss of my mother, then the loss of my father sort of made me sit back and say, wait a second, what, how did I get here, you know, on the personal side and, and what informed my decisions? And frankly, that my own perception of my true worthiness or what I could attain in in life, I had put limits on that myself. And I think recognizing when I lost my parents and evaluating my life, it wasn't a midlife thing. It wasn't a moment. It was sort of this evolution of, wow, I have a lot of things I need to really go inside and figure out because of some of my behaviors after they passed, you know, things that I wasn't coping very well with. And honestly, the undigging and undigging and un, you know just continuing to discover those things within myself made me realize how disconnected I was from who I truly am and how I had sort of let the way the world had informed me of how I should show up um, so strongly influence how I did. And I decided no more.
2: No masks. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love that you you got to that point of recognition because it's, it's honestly, it's not one that many of us do. And sometimes if we do recognize it, there might be an internal battle within us where we feel like, well, if we do this, we're going to lose access to the environment we're in. And we've convinced ourselves that the environment we're in is, is what we need to be in. And the next question with this has to be with, I'm sure inevitably you have to cut ties with some people. You had to establish boundaries. You had to go to people that maybe you loved and then you had to figure out how to love them from afar. And the more you were asserting yourself, you know, people probably reacted negatively to that. And, and, and I'm curious to learn how you reacted to the inevitable disconnect that comes when you become more yourself?
1: Yeah, so that has been, that's absolutely the toughest part, right? Um, because everyone comes to know you as the version of you that that they've you known. And, and a lot of times the version of me was very acceptable, you know, a people pleaser, you know, want to make people happy, certainly within my own limits. But the places where I felt the most justified in asserting myself is where justice was needed. That was like Where I gave myself permission to really lean into my own true skills and personality to be like, I'm gonna fight this. This is just wrong, you know. I can get mad about this. I have permission because this is just wrong. Um, But yeah, in the other ways, it was different. But I'll tell you, the thing that that allowed the thing I had to get to before I could even get to the authenticity piece was really learning that I determined if I was safe or not. Mm. That was huge because. I think I was, my life was constantly ebbing and flowing with how other people were feeling or what they were, uh, how they treated me. And like, I I could just get with people where I was like, wait a second, where's the source of my anxiety in this situation or that situation? And every time it was, it was this fear and it wasn't a fear of acting. It was this fear of an unconscious fear of who am I without this? If I, if I act in the way that's authentic to me and I lose my career or I lose a a person I'm dating, I I think there was this underlying fear of, will I have me? Do I have, can I catch myself? Do, am I a person? How do I exist outside of this thing? I've let define me a relationship or a career or whatever it is. And I had to do a lot of work there on that journey came boundaries. And I realized I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) Um, And that I needed to put those in place. And to your point, when I started doing that, I did let go of, uh, I let go of a relationship I was in. I um, let go of a couple of friendships that I had where people really, I was good to them to the extent I complied with how they wanted me to, to show up. And that was hard, but because I had done the work on the safety side of things to say, I am whole with or without anything else, mm. whether I have lots of money, a little bit of money, whether I have a great relationship, a partnership, or partnership where I live alone and do life, you know, on my own terms. I am whole and I'm not going to enter into any other relationships that take away from that friendship, partnership, anything. So when people now even ask me like, ah, oh, why aren't you just going out there and you know, getting back into the dating world? And for me is until I meet someone else who is whole and together our wholeness adds to our collective, whatever it is, success, happiness, then, then I'm good. Um, so I think there's that, you have to kind of come to that full circle moment, I think, um, yeah. whatever that is for each individual. Well, well,
2: well there's that misconception, you know, from the, the scene from Jerry Maguire, you complete me that, that that you know, I think has yeah. made a lot of people feel like you need to be halves of yourself. But what I always subscribe to, and I just heard you say it is you need two holes, right? You have to mm-hmm. be a full version of, of a person. And if you see completion in someone else, it's, it's inevitably going to lead to a lot of things. Resentment being one of them or loss of self being another another part of that. And so doing that work is not yeah. something that we get taught in school. We get taught everything else in school, but we don't get taught emotional intelligence. We don't get taught financial literacy. That's another podcast. We don't get taught all these yeah. things yeah. that are necessary for yeah. social and personal development. And it leads us to the programming that we already have. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. It's just like self love is another good example. You know, I think that's something that, you know, coming back to the wholeness, the boundaries, the safety, I had this real journey of, you know, I was out here all the time, right, touting how much I love myself and to, to not feel badly about putting your own needs first. But when it came right down to it, I I wouldn't have been in a position to not have boundaries and to also then have boundaries and not communicate them or communicate them and not enforce them if I truly did love myself. Mm. Because when those decisions or those things, when people violate my boundaries, it made me realize that I was choosing them and their reaction to me not complying with their boundaries. I was ranking that higher than how it made me feel when they did violate my boundaries. And that was a huge, huge growth moment for me because i had heard so much about self-love, but self-love isn't, I get up and take care of myself and I make my bed every day. Certainly those are things for, for some people that, you know, help their lives stay stable. Self-love is really, will I choose myself over everyone else when a situation is not good for me, Um, you know, or will I choose myself when I know that what I need to do, I need to do for myself. And so a good example, light bulb moment for me was my sister was struggling with organizing her own closet. And I was like, I'm there. I'm on the scene. I'm coming. I'll help you get out of this rut. And she said, but wait, but but you're having your own little struggle with X, Y, and Z. And I realized my love for her made me want to get her out of the situation she was stuck in. But I didn't love myself enough to do that almost exact same thing or some version of that for myself. And I say I didn't love myself, but you know what I mean. I had just built this world where most of my satisfaction came from helping other people before kind of recognizing the ways I needed to help myself to show myself that I was there for me to then know I was safe, to then have boundaries and then to be able to enforce those. It all just kind of comes full circle.
2: Would you say you're a fixer or you like to be a fixer? Yes. I I, I identify with that too as well. But I was having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday and we were talking about the good and bad of that. So I'm curious to hear where do you think you need to fix problems around you comes from?
1: Well, I think I think the role I played in my family system, you know, I think we don't talk enough about how our siblings influence who we become just as much as our parents influence who we become and really the, the combination of personalities. Um, you know, for me, my sister and brother, very outspoken people, they didn't mind ruffling my dad's feathers. My dad was, uh, you know, had a temper. And so, so did they, and so did I, you know, we all kind of inherited this and we'll talk about that later. Triggers. Hopefully we'll get to that.
2: No, the triggers is the next question. I have. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, in my family system, I wanted to mitigate everyone being triggered because it made me feel unsafe as a kid, the way I internalized, you know, my dad and my sister going at it, or the way I internalized, you know, my dad and my brother going at it, I was kind of like, hey, maybe the way I can get what I need is I'll go be the achiever. And that is a very, it's the least disruptive way I can get attention in an environment where my brother and sister, you know, demanded attention in a different way. Um, But also, as I got a little bit older with my family dynamic is um, when my parent when I was about 21 my parents got divorced and my mother had a really tough time with that and in some ways I parented her from that moment until her eventual death you know and had to take on some responsibility for her in a lot of different ways emotionally financially and I think that that, that just further fueled this, this. it is my role to hold everybody together, to fix everybody. And I think it's because people came to view me as that person because they knew they could rely on me and I was consistent and I'll be the first one to show up when you have a problem. Um, but I also think it, it makes me feel, it's not just other people. It makes me feel needed or makes me feel... Valued, um, and it's something I'm good at. You know, I mean, my career is centered around putting things in order, organizing companies, reorganizing the structure to go down a path to fix all the things you know that are broken over the course of one, three, and five years. I've built a career over at, at fixing things, and I, I think that's at the heart of it. Is that's how I feel valued and worthy, and meaningful to people, and it's work I have to do still.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. I, I love that. And one of the things I, I love about you and the reason I, I want to interview you is, you know, we followed each other on, on TikTok and you have this, you know, amazing personality. But in between the dances and the smiles, you drop a few uh, moments of vulnerability. And I remember one of your videos where you were highlighting how you are prone to self sabotage. <laughs> and.
0: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees, promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one
0: donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone.
1: Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
2: Willing to admit, now you've talked about triggers and you wanted to, to, to be a buffer between triggers and your family, but mm-hmm. being able to identify this part of yourself that likes sabotage, talk about this. W- what do you mean by you are prone to self sabotage? Mm,
1: such a good, good question. So I I think I know the video you're talking about. And some people did comment and say, I don't think that's self-sabotage. Like, I think that's you like leaning into and being brave. And there is a really fine line. You know, I think the place where self-sabotage has come into play a lot for me has been on the dating side of things after my divorce. Um, And some of it is in who I would choose, like initially, right? Like when you, for me, I was married for 20 years and then came out on the dating scene. I had no idea I have no idea where I even stood, sort of in the
2: very different, very different, Amy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very different. Oh my gosh. And I really got to, you know, how naive I was, didn't play. And, you know, listen, we grow, we learn, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, I think, though, the self sabotage thing, a good example is, you know, I had a tendency initially, and even still, this is something I'm working through where it's easier to pick someone who one needs fixing to kind of tie that in. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, so I noticed self-sabotage in that area where it was like, okay, this is someone who maybe isn't exactly my equal in some areas. And I don't think people have to be equal in all the areas, but we probably weren't in the same, I don't know how to, how to appropriately say it, but we're no, yeah, really in two that. very different places in our lives
2: right who, who hasn't done the work that you've done in yourself and so you know right just wanted to stop by here before we get back to the episode i wanted to let you all know that i do have a collective for people who are interested in developing their cultural competency skills becoming more anti-racist and it's a resource of things that you can do with your family, with your school, with yourself to work through your individual journey to become a better culturally competent leader. It's called UID Collective, and the link is in the show notes, but it's a mix of courses. It's a mix of resources, things you can download, and all you need to do is sign up as a member. It's a monthly membership. I'd love for you to check it out. Use it with your friends. Use it with your family. Use it with yourself. OK, the link is in the show notes It's called UID Collective. And it's for those of you that want to improve your cultural competency skills. Back to the episode. That's where you mean by that. No, I, I understand that. And it, there's often an imbalance if someone isn't at least open to growth and self-improvement because there's a cap on their level and you're expansive and willing to be vulnerable and learn things. And so it can cause friction. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and it can also be, you're just like, you're not even able to have conversations about the things, you know, you know, this, you know, as someone who's curious and wants to learn and, you know, this, this healing and growth journey has been something I really, you know, dove into on a very academic level, um, which is the next part of my work, like getting out of the academics of it and kind of processing, you know, on a whole other level, but to get back to your question about self-sabotage, what I noticed is when I got to a point that I had pushed myself to my own limit. You know, my own level of bravery. It either took for me to move past that. It either takes me being incredibly brave and acting even outside of myself and my comfort zone to do the thing that will help me be the version of me I'm trying to become. And I talk about that a little on my TikToks. Um, You know, or playing it safe and making decisions that harm or go against the positive things I've worked for to keep me in this safe place, right? It's almost like self-sabotage in both ways. You know, I'd say either bravery or self-sabotage can either move you forward or move you backwards. And sometimes when I'm starting to feel a little bit unsettled and before I'd done a lot of the work about feeling self with safe within myself, I'd say, Whoa, I've pushed this too far. Now I need to do something that'll screw it up where it's not me, but it's something I do that leads to something yeah. unraveling this thing that scares me. And it's, it's now I see it before it happens, thankfully. And some most of the time, but it takes a lot of work.
2: It does. It does. And even in those moments, you don't, you know, you don't see it and you, you go back. I, I think the, the next step is the most important thing, which is the, the level of grace that you need to have for yourself, uh, which is something I, I'm still working on, frankly. But, you know, I'm like, oh, OK, you know, you at least you recognize it doesn't define right. you. This is the emotion, this is the behavior. Take it as yeah. a learning step. And it doesn't mean I'm all of a sudden a failure. But it's one of those things yeah. where I think perfectionists have to figure out how to work through. Um, mm-hmm. Um, Chief Strategy Officer. I think there's an interesting parallel with everything we've been discussing, and you being a Chief Strategy Officer, because, like you said earlier, there's a there's an element of academics to it and putting things together and seeing things from afar and strategizing. And in your career, you've you know you've, you've done this for you said it's 25 years and figuring out how to, to work with companies. I'm curious to see if you feel. Like that transferable skill of you being able to strategize led you to the organization and the conference that you've uh, you formed. You spearheaded spearheading actually.
1: Yeah, it absolutely it absolutely did. You know, I think I'm certainly the type of person that is I'm able to very quickly analyze a situation and figure out a plan and path forward. Some of this is back to the fixing aspect of things. Um, but yeah, exactly. But I think probably the Women's conference came as much, you know. I just had this inner pool. I, I knew and have known for a long time that I was meant to use my voice and my skills in a way that could be uh, multiplied, you know, beyond, you know, the limited audiences I had. And uh, I knew my story, you know, that being what it is, I knew that it was a common experience that a lot of us, you know, were having, especially in the professional world. And so, you know, I think my job is a, Uh, chief strategy officer, chief of staff, like these different roles I've had, have certainly um, been built around sort of some of my own, again, safety areas, right? Like if you're a, if you're the chief strategy officer, or if you're the chief of staff, and this is me, um, I was the president of my last company, I'm that number two position, like I really like being that number two position, even if I'm the person who's the face of it, it's not that, but I don't carry all the risk of it, you know, Mm. like ultimately, the CEO does again, another, another place where, you know, I know I play it a little safe, but, you know, I think that being strategic with the women's conference and thinking about how to bring women together in a way that could help us overcome the way we get in, in our own way, personally, like the way our, all the systems and messages that we've been sent. Um, But also how women working with other women um, could improve so that collectively if we come together, there's power in, there's validation and power in that and support in that. And we could operate in a more successful way if we played on the same team versus this old school mentality of there's only so many seats at the table. No, we will make more seats at the table Um, the more of us we can continue to get you know, in the varying rates of companies. And so just changing that mind shift a little bit, I think has been, uh, that mindset a little bit has been, you know, a key. Huh.
2: So w- when does your conference happen?
1: Yeah, so it happens um, December, this year. It's happening December. Uh, oh my gosh, you listen, this is like the main important thing I should be talking about. Uh, the 12th through the 15th, we have two versions this year. We're doing a, an in-person in Scottsdale, Arizona, Um, women in consumer finance. Folks can go look that up directly, just as it's stated there. Um, It's in Scottsdale, Arizona in person. Then the next week we're doing a virtual version of it for, you know, all the women around the world who can't, you know, make it or aren't ready to travel. Um, So we're going to try to do a hybrid for both, for both people. But yeah, we're really excited about this year's event.
2: No, no, I'm really excited too, because it's obviously it's right before the new year and we'll have the links in the show notes. So you know, by the time this comes out, this, uh, it'll be enough time for you to get the tickets, but the hybrid version, was that influenced by, was that also partly influenced by COVID or was that always the deal Were you always going to,
1: you know, it's interesting. So I started this conference when I was with my last organization, uh, and then, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I left that, I actually left ownership and the chairing of that with them as I've, you know, moved on and then just play a, a, a role now. Um, but I think that I guess it was last year, we were like, ah, oh, we had to go 100% virtual, it was great. And then I was like, well, we can't lose all, the main thing for me was, with the virtual, we were able to get to a level within the organization that is that really the audience I want to get to. The women who are the 20 year, 25 year old Amy, the 30 year old Amy, the 35 year old Amy. Um, I think those are really the women who benefit most. Oftentimes in the professional world, the women who are approved to travel are the women who have already been through and had the bumps and bruises and just benefit from the networking and some of that piece. But when we did the virtual last year because of COVID, we noticed that it was also helping us achieve getting more of those women who are really our core audience there and and, um, make it accessible to them. So I was like, we can't. We can't go back now. We need to continue to make this accessible to women who can't get approval to travel for work, but would love right. to have the content.
2: So the conference has a lot of personal and professional opportunities for women uh, in transitional periods of their lives. Is that is that what I might get in there, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the main thing about this conference is. Uh, we put successful women on stage and and I talk to them and ask them, tell us your story. You know, have you always been this polished professional CEO from the time you were 20 or what was your story? And it's amazing. And you'll appreciate this, I believe, with the work that you do. But the more stories you hear, one, the, the more you realize how common challenges are and experiences are. And it's so validating for someone who's 25, a woman who's 25 in the audience, who's just recently been given feedback, maybe that she's too aggressive. She hears me on stage talking about how I've received similar feedback and how I've associated that with my worthiness. And that's first and foremost validating to say, She got that feedback and she's out here still succeeding and making it happen. I can do this too. I can adjust it. So a lot of it really is about creating those moments where women can see themselves and other women like them, right? Not just, not just who you see that makes it to TV or who makes it, you know, Mm -hmm. big on LinkedIn or whatever it is. You can see real life women who are succeeding and it's just validating and empowering. And I, what I hope is that it is so empowering that women start to use their voice where they wouldn't have otherwise, because, you know, that's what it's all about.
2: Uh-huh. Well, now I'll, I'll make sure to grab the links from you so that we have that in the show notes. It sounds like an amazing conference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really good.
2: The, the, the uh, We're heading, getting close to the end here. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts and legacy, right? So the next generation and as you're, as you're modeling this level of vulnerability and womanhood, how do you see yourself doing that for your immediate family and the people coming after you outside of the conference in your personal life?
1: Yeah. In my personal life, you know, I think this is where, you know, my daughter has been a huge way. It's been a wake up call for me. Obviously she's reaching that the 12 year old uh, stage and, uh, a lot of this journey has been right on time for me because uh, I think I mentioned it in one of my TikToks that, you know, being a mom, I found, you know, very triggering. And honestly, dealing with my triggers and also recognizing the triggers and the people around me and, and understanding the source of why the reaction is the way it is um, really has been, um, you know, so so foundational for me, and realizing that I have to break these genera- generational curses that have happened. Otherwise, I see the same the same tendencies and behaviors um, in my daughter. Now, and my daughter is not biologically my child. She I adopted her when she was two weeks old, and so that's perfect proof that you know it's not. She's not repeating these behaviors because biologically she's predispositioned to some of these behaviors because of me, right? She's learning them through how I'm modeling those behaviors. And I think that I have a passion on two fronts as as far as the next generation goes. One is, is, you know, mothers and daughters and family systems in general. I think the more we can get information out there about triggers and the source of those triggers and managing those, Um, I think that changes how people start to operate and how they interact with one another, because most of the things I see blow up in media or, you know, even arguments I see on social media. A lot of it is you can tell that someone just doesn't know how to deal with what's underneath the anger or the reaction they're having based on what someone said. And I would say that this. And so I have to work on that within my family system, with my siblings, with, you know, my ex-husband, who remains my closest friend. Um, We are all working on that together. Um, And then, you know, I think the other part of this is, um, you know, for the young women like me who, you know, because where I came from, you know, when I was coming through high school, because of the fact that my parents didn't have money, like guidance counselors didn't even talk to me about college. I didn't know how to apply to college. I didn't, I'd never toured a college campus. My parents, neither of them graduated high school. So they were so happy to just get three kids through high school. They had done one better um, and I had to literally walk into a random college and say, Can you tell me how I go? Like, how do I enroll here? What is the process? And of course, that's not how it works. You don't just walk into a college and say, Enroll me. But I got the information I needed. And so, I mean, part of the work for me in healing myself is so that I can figure out the healthiest and most informed way that I can help the 16, 17, 18 year old Amy who, kn- has great potential president, the future business leaders of America, all these things, but still somehow falls through the cracks. Um, because of the way our system is set up and how it tends to favor, you know, those who have a lot tend to get a lot more and, you know, those who have to work their way from a different environment. It's, it's a struggle. And so I think I can use my journey to go back now and, help support and validate women like me earlier in their lives so that they don't realize their worthiness at 44. They can realize they're worth it from the start.
2: Beautiful. Well, I mean, we've come to the final question and thank you for sharing. The, the final question for me is my mission statement reframed as a question. And I always ask my guests this. So Amy, how do you use your difference to make a difference?
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think it's in all the things I've said here. Like it's about, For me, I could live a very quiet life, you know, show up at work, be dutiful, um, love my child, be good to my friends. But this commitment I have to growing and evolving as a person and the things I've learned and the self-awareness I have, I can't believe, and and my ability to communicate, my desire to communicate, I I can't sleep on that. Um, There are so many days where I'm like, why? Why am I? Why is this so important to me that I articulate my thoughts and write in my journal constantly about realizations and connections I've had? And it's all because I think I'm in a position as a person um, to, me, to turn what I've learned and to turn the difficult things I've been into, I can turn those into lessons and inspiration and stories for other people to hopefully arrive at this conclusion sooner and live full, anxiety-free, um, you know, lives that allow them to really go after and pursue and make the most of this really short window of time we have, as far as we know, at least on on this planet. So that's how I I hope to be brave enough to keep showing up to, to figure out how I can make that difference happen. Well,
2: thank you so much, Amy. This has been a pleasure. I appreciate the vulnerability and the authenticity. Uh, I'm sure many people are going to be finding themselves in your story. And I'm looking forward to hearing the good news and the impact that your conference makes when it happens in December.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to share. Thank you so much again for inviting me here. It's always so great to listen to all of your wisdom. Um, And so it feels such an honor to be sitting here with you and chatting about these things. So thanks again.
2: My pleasure. And uh, kings, queens and royalty till next time. Use your difference to make a difference.